I eventually managed to kind of by using the door frames gather up the, the strength to kind of pull myself into my bedroom where I could get to my mobile phone. I rang for an ambulance and by the time the ambulance had came, again these symptoms had disappeared. It was just so weird and I, by the time the, the paramedics came I felt like such a fraud. And I was taken into hospital and from there my memories of that are very hazy. But all I remember is being put on a like a pre-assessment ward, and that's where I went on to suffer a full-blown brainstem stroke, where I was transferred to a, a different hospital, and then I spent eight months in the hospital. Initially, when I'd actually had the brainstem stroke, I was put into a medically induced coma, and when I awoke from that, I was completely paralysed. I could only move my eyes, couldn't speak. And to be quite honest, I was very confused. Initially, I didn't know what was happening. I was in a neuro ward in hospital. And then after the first month, I was transferred to a rehabilitation ward. And this is where like the intensive physiotherapy, my occupational therapy, speech therapy started. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Brainstem strokes often have a very complex set of symptoms and are often difficult to diagnose. A person suffering from one may experience severe vertigo, dizziness and severe imbalance without any of the other more common stroke symptoms. In this episode, we hear from Sarah Harbron from Stockton on Tees, who suffered a stroke at the age of 29. Prior to my stroke, I was quite inactive. 29-year-old, I was a civil servant, worked for the job centre. I was quite a bit of a gym bunny. I was there nearly every day. On weekends, I enjoyed going out to the countryside, walking on a planned walk. I love going to the cinema, going to live gigs, music, any events like that, festivals. I enjoyed the odd night out with my friends. I led quite a busy, active lifestyle. I was always on the go. What actually happened is, leading up to the stroke, I had several episodes, which we've now realised were TIAs. What first happened, it was a Sunday, and I'd been out on the Saturday night I was in bed during the day and I just felt awful and I thought it was a hangover. I just felt really lethargic. I just really felt generally awful. And it got to around tea time and I thought I really need to pull myself round and and get myself, you know, sorted out. So I thought I'll get up and go in the shower and hopefully that will make me feel better. And I went and got in the shower and I can remember sitting in under the shower just letting the water drip over my head and I just thought I don't feel myself literally I got out of the shower I didn't even take the towels off and I got straight back into bed now at the time in my bedroom we had the attic was done out but the stairs to get to the attic were in my bedroom and I remember my dad coming up to go into the loft and then um, at this time, I was upset, I was crying. He said, what's wrong? And I said, Dad, I just don't feel like myself, I feel awful. 
and he shouted my mum and my mum came up in my room and she said she could notice that the, the side of my face was starting to droop and she said, I think we need to call an ambulance. From then it was just a bit of a whirlwind. The ambulance came and by this point I'd lost my mobility. They had to carry me down the stairs and it was kind of like a stretcher. And then from kind of then to the hospital, I was drifting in and out of consciousness. My speech was slurring. And probably within maybe an hour, an hour and a half, all of these symptoms had disappeared and I was back to normal. They admitted me to the stroke ward and they kept me in hospital for two days, did a couple of tests and they put it down to a hemiplegic migraine and discharged me. From work, they said it was best to self-certify and take the, the rest of the week off, off work just to chill out. Now, it got to the Thursday and I, I'd arranged to meet a friend for coffee. So Thursday morning, I'd get up, go to have a shower and I collapse on the landing. I could still speak at this point, but I was in the house on my own and I just couldn't move when I was shouting for help. But obviously, there was no one there. And we had a dog at the time and the dog thought that I was playing. But obviously I, I, I couldn't move and I started to really panic. It turns out that I was on the landing for about three hours. I just could not move. I eventually managed to kind of by using the door frames, gather up the strength to kind of pull myself into my bedroom where I could get to my mobile phone. I rang for an ambulance. But at the time the ambulance had came... Again, these symptoms had disappeared. It was just so weird. And I, by the time the, the paramedics came, I felt like such a fraud. And I said, I'm I'm really sorry, you know, for wasting your time, but I, I feel fine. But anyway, they, they took me in. I was given oxygen and just told to rest. And my mum came to collect me. And the nurse said, if if this happens again, just ride with it. Just go with it. So we came home, everything was fine until about tea time and the same thing started happening again. At this point, because of the advice that we'd received from the nurse in the hospital, they said to ride, ride it out. Mum said, I'm going to walk to the chemist and, and see what they say. So she walked up to the local boots and they said, you need to bring your GP. So she came home, we rang the GP and they said, ring for an ambulance. So we rang 999. We had a bit of a carry on trying to actually get an ambulance because they said, you've just been discharged like hours ago. So after a bit of a fight with them, they agreed to send a car out, not an actual ambulance, a paramedic's car. And the car came and she looked at me straight away and she said, we need an ambulance so they got an ambulance and then I was taken into hospital and from there my memories of that are very hazy but all I remember is being put on a like a pre-assessment ward and that's where I went on to suffer a full-blown brainstem stroke where I was transferred to a, a different hospital and then I spent eight months in the hospital. During her lengthy stay in hospital... Sarah had to completely relearn her basic skills. Initially, when I'd actually had the brainstem stroke, I was put into a medically induced coma. And when I awoke from that, I was completely paralysed. 
I could only move my eyes, couldn't speak. And to be quite honest, I was very confused. Initially, I didn't know what was happening. It was just trying to communicate with anyone was just near on impossible. We had to use things like an alphabet chart, but because of the stroke, I was extremely fatigued and I'd get a few sentences out and I just felt like I couldn't be bothered. So initially for the first month, I was in a neuro ward in hospital. And then after the first month, I was transferred to a rehabilitation ward. And this is where like the intensive physiotherapy my occupational therapy, speech therapy started. But my recovery initially was sparked that I had um, a flicker in my my thumb on my left-hand side. Slowly but surely, my left-hand side started to wake up and it was my right-hand side that was affected. So I'm now left with right-hand side weakness. But during that time in the hospital, the rehabilitation was, was brilliant I can't fault it at, at all, but it was it was hard work. Every month we would have a goal planning meeting. And initially for that first month, the goals that were set was to sit up unaided for a minute. And at that point in time, it felt near on impossible. I just didn't think I'd be able to do it. But, you know, once that goal was reached, it was then to, to stand with the, the leg straight for for so many seconds and we would gradually just build up each month and carry on you know from there so with regards to my speech therapy obviously initially I was was not able to speak but the SALT team they would be trying me on different diets initially because I couldn't eat I had a NG tube so I was being fed through a tube And then gradually they would start introducing different foods. So it would initially start with yogurt and then moving up and they would try different foods until they gave me the say-so and that it was safe for me to go ahead and and try a, a different variety of a diet. With regards to the speech, they gave me different exercises that I had to do because it was just strange. Like, you, you know, I felt like, I could talk, but then when I tried to do it, it just nothing would happen. So they were giving me different exercises to do. And then when bits of my speech started to return, then it was kind of like, um, felt very childlike. They would give you exercises to read, like sentences. But due to the stroke, I had pseudo-bulbar effect which is known as emotional ability, and I would laugh and cry. But these exercises that were giving me, uh, that just set me off into giggles. So it was just really difficult to try and, you know, have the session. The occupational therapy, they also work with me, things like dressing, bathing. Basically, I had to learn to, to redo everything. So their assistance was helping me to kind of rebuild the skills that I previously had that the the stroke had shattered, basically. At first, Sarah's stroke was difficult to diagnose and after experiencing a number of TIAs, she suffered a serious brainstem stroke that put her in hospital for eight months. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Sarah on the emotional difficulties 
she continues to face. I still will maybe laugh at a joke and it's, I find it really hilarious when it's not really that funny or st- the opposite. If I get upset, it seems to be a lot more than is warranted by the situation. But over time, these things are becoming a lot easier to deal with and to manage. And her goals for the future. One of my goals, like physically, that I'm working towards in my physiotherapy is to be able to get up off the floor. Because currently, if I have a fall, I can't get myself up. Let's hear how Sarah continues to cope with the effects of her stroke. I have mobility issues, so as I mentioned earlier, my right side is affected, so I struggle with drop foot. And also, I have really bad balance issues because of the, the, the area of where my stroke was, it affected my cerebellum, which is your, your balance centre. My balance was awful. It's much better now. My physiotherapy, we do a lot of core work, building up my core, so that's helping with my balance. Also, my right arm has been left with quite a, a deformity, especially in the, the elbow. I don't have a great deal of range because of the spasticity. So I'm on medication, Baclofen, to try and help this. And I also have regular rounds of um, Botox injections to try and help reduce the spasticity. I also have issues with my emotions. Everything is still quite close to the surface, so any kind of emotion, I feel it really to an extreme. The emotional ability is not as as bad as it was, but I still have kind of episodes. There's nothing that will trigger it, but I still will maybe laugh at a joke and it's, I find it really hilarious when it's not really that funny or st- the opposite. If I get upset, it seems to be a lot more than is warranted by the situation. But over time, these things are becoming a lot easier to deal with and to manage. Sarah was at first hesitant of sharing her stroke story online. I mean, initially when I'd had the stroke, I wasn't interested in anything like that. You know, was the last thing on my mind. And it was maybe three or four months when I was still in hospital after the stroke. I put something on Facebook reluctantly and the feedback that I received was just such a boost. The kind words of people are such an encouragement. And for a while after the stroke, I really struggled and I kind of reached out to support groups, stroke support groups. And it was nice to hear from other survivors and also like things that you're going through, they are in similar situations. So you have something in common and that really helped me. And then from an academic point of view, I found Twitter and found this is a really good platform to kind of help myself and help others. One of my goals, like physically, that I'm working towards in my physiotherapy is to be able to get up off the floor. Because currently, if I have a fall, I can't get myself up. So we're doing a lot of work in physio to 
to kind of work towards that. So that is one of my, my goals in physio. Kind of other goals, I want to get back into the workplace eventually. I believe that work is good for your mental health and also gives you some meaning and purpose. And I really want to work with stroke survivors, but young stroke survivors to kind of show that even though something horrible and life destructing can happen, you can actually achieve something. And Sarah has advice for stroke survivors who might be struggling with their recovery. Never give up. Keep trying. If you have a setback, there's things that I've tried a million times. I'm extremely determined. And if someone says that I can't do something, this makes me more determined to do it. So that one piece of advice will be to never give up. And any advice that I would give to a, a carer or friends of a stroke survivor is, is to kind of be patient. I totally understand that it's it's not only life changing for the actual survivor, but friends and carers. And although you're in the unknown, that person who's had a stroke is coming to terms with, you know, multiple things that have changed in their life. And sometimes they don't know what, what's best for them. And I think you just need to be patient and not take things to heart. Because I know myself that sometimes I lose my temper. And unfortunately, the people that I end up taking it out on are those that I love and who are the closest to me. And unfortunately, it's, it's them that are in the firing line. And I don't mean it. And it's the heat at the moment and things can happen, but but really just be patient and, you know, kind of I know you've got to think about yourself, but also consider that their needs have changed so much and just be patient. Despite a long recovery that Sarah continues to work on, she remains focused on her future, where she hopes to be able to help other stroke survivors. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. Before everything fell out of my hands, uh, and it, the best I can describe it is that it felt like somebody flipped a switch and the circuits shut off in my brain, and I could only use certain parts of it. I tried to yell out for help, and I couldn't speak or make sounds. Please don't forget, we'd be grateful if you'd subscribe, rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know a stroke survivor and there's a story you'd like to share, contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Thank you.